Hello, I'm Brooke Johnson. Welcome to my father's podcast. For this week's message, or any of the messages in our archive, subscribe for free on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Bethel Christian Fellowship is a church that relies on the support of its community. We consider you a part of that community, and we would love for you to participate in our financial life. You can do that at our website at drcraigjohnson.org. Whether you're new to this space or a regular pod listener, we're glad you're here. We believe that this message will bring you hope, encouragement, and guidance. God bless you. Good morning, Bethel family. Could we greet our streaming family in Jesus' name? Morning. Welcome. Welcome. I hope you're hungry. I hope you're thirsty because I have a delicious word today. Today we're going to be talking about, we're, on our, we're still in our series on the threshold. Today we're going to talk about the mixed multitude on the threshold. Now I had a number of options. I could have called this message Tabera on the threshold. You'll find out what that means in a minute. It means fire on the threshold. I could have also called it Kibrat Hatava, which means the graves of lust. On the threshold. All names we're going to describe. You can win friends and influence people. I'm going to teach you an interesting Hebrew word today. Asapsap. Asapsap. It's like ASAP as soon as possible with the words S-U-P. Asapsap. It's a word used only once in the book of Numbers chapter 11. And the name Asapsap is going to introduce us to the mixed multitude. What am I talking about? Well, All throughout the Bible, just before miracles happen, you're introduced to a concept called the mixed multitude. And just after the miraculous and the signs and the wonders, you're introduced to a concept called a mixed multitude. What is a mixed multitude? In Exodus 12, 37 and 38, it says the Israelites journeyed from Ramses to Sukkot. There were about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children, and a mixed multitude of people went up with them. When the children of Israel came out of Egypt, that was a great deliverance. It was a great jailbreak. It was a great liberty. But along with all of the children of Israel came up a mixed multitude. Did you know in every move of God, there's mixture? Did you know that leaven always seeks to intrude itself into the lump? And it only takes a little bit of leaven to leaven a whole lump. Did you know whenever God is sowing in his garden, there, along with the wheat, are tares, identical-looking little bits of something or other, but they are not wheat. They are tares. So we're going to take a moment today, and we're going to look at a mixed multitude on the threshold because I want to show you something so important. Beloved, we are moving into an interesting season of God's power and God's moving. And all throughout redemptive history, whenever there was a beginning of a new era in redemptive history, God would judge sin in a dramatic way, a severe way, almost a catastrophic way. This is the stuff that the uh, internet infidels love. This is the stuff the atheists love. How come God's going to use fire? And how come he's doing this? And how come he's doing that? Well, did you know in the Bible, in, in Leviticus chapter 10, there were, there were two guys named Nadab and Abihu. And they were Aaron's oldest son and second oldest son. And they turned against the leadership of Moses, and they offered strange fire. They offered fire that did not come from an appropriate source. And in the middle of their faux pas, and it was a faux pas of rebellion against Moses and the leadership, fire came out and consumed them. Poor named heaven by you. Why is the God of the Old Testament always smiting folk with fire? Well, um, The holier a move of God is, the more drastic and severe the immediate consequence of judgment will be. So Nadab and Abihu, boom, fire. How come? Because God was doing such a purifying work. He was, it was such a holy time in the congregation of the people that the Lord had to make quick work 
of the mixed multitude. Also, in Joshua chapter 7, there was a man named Achan. Uh, again, we're not getting into the whole story, but uh, Achan wound up Achan. Um, uh, what happened is the children of Israel are postured to take uh, Jordan, and uh, I'm sorry, Jericho, and Jericho was the first city that they were going to take. Now, what did God tell them to do with the first portion of anything they got? The first lamb of the flock, the firstborn child. You were to devote, it was called the devoted thing. Why do people talk in the Bible, uh, I mean, in the church world about tithing all the time? You don't tithe this, and well, the Bible doesn't really mention uh, 10%. Look, I don't care if it's nine and a quarter, eight and a fifth, 10 and a quarter. The first portion, the devoted thing, went to God. It was his. It belonged to him. And so Jericho was the first city of ten cities, and so it was under Harim. It was a devoted thing. It was to be given to God and burnt with fire. That's it. It belonged to the Lord. In other words, it's saying, don't eat God's tithe. <laughs> if you want to eat, don't eat God's portion, whatever it is. If it was the first lamb, the first child, the first city, the first fruits, the first flock, whatever it was, the principle in the Bible was the devoted thing was given over to God. Well, Achan uh, from the tribe of Judah decided, you know, they'd been in slavery for so long, he never had anything nice, so he takes a Rolex and a Babylon garment. He touches the devoted thing that's given over to God. Guess what? Oops. The next day they go up to battle, the AI, and they fail. 37 men are killed. Joshua's having a heart attack. He goes, oh, we've never lost. What's going on? And the Lord said, I'll tell you what's going on. Call all the people together the next day. And they call out the tribe of Judah and the actual family. And then it got down to Zimri. And then it got down to Achan. And Achan comes forward and he goes, well, I actually, I stole a wedge of gold and a Babylon garment. You know, what's a big deal? You know, and I hid it in my tent. And God says, um, stone him and burn everything with fire that he's got. A severe judgment. Why? The holier the season, the holier the move of God, the more immediate and strict and clear the judgment is. Well, that's not all. That's not all. I've got more. In 2 Samuel 6, 1 through 7, remember Uzzah? Remember the Ark of the Covenant was going to be brought up to Jerusalem, and David said, bring the Ark up? And so what they did is they put the Holy Ark of the Covenant on a, on a, on a, on a, on a cart, a cow cart. And they were bringing it up by oxen, and the oxen tripped, and the cart shook, and the ark began to sort of look like it might tip, and Uzzah touched it and was struck dead in front of 30,000 people. Now, that was some parade. 30,000 people had just died under Eli and his priestly sons that were wicked, and now 30,000 people were in the audience watching David bring the ark up the wrong way. Did you know we want the glory to come up, but we want it to come up God's way? And did you know what? The Ark of the Covenant, they knew exactly how it was to be brought. First of all, Uzzah wasn't a Levite. <clears throat> Strike one. Strike two, human hands are not so ever to touch the Ark of the Covenant. It represents the throne of God on earth. <clears throat> Strike two. <laughs> Strike three, it was never to be brought on a cart. The Bible specifically said the ark had to only be born on the shoulders of specific priests. And that's why people ask me questions about AI all the time. And what's the future hold, loved one? Let me tell you something. The glory of God has never been born by an animal, never will be. And it's never been born by any kind of mechanistic cart. So even if it looks like iRobot. Only human beings made in the image of God, sons of Adam and daughters of Eve, can bear the glory of God. So you don't need to worry. AI is not going, it's going to take over. And then, oh, computer, oh, help me, Jesus. God is not stupid. He's very aware that he only allows the weight of his glory on the shoulders of his priests. Don't worry about anything. It's the end of days. First gospel sermon, Acts chapter 2, Peter said, Beloved, these are the last days. We've been in the last days for 2,000 years. So we're in the last days, the last days, the last days, the last days. But, but, but nothing. They thought Christ was coming in 20 minutes. That's not our job. Our job is to do the next right thing, serving men, women, boys, and girls, winning them to Christ and discipling the saved 
and advancing the work of the kingdom. So notice in the Bible, and one more example, New Testament. He's always in the Old Testament. Acts chapter 5, remember Ananias and Sapphira? The move of God was so pure. The early church was so pure. The glory of God was falling. Signs and wonders were happening. And Ananias and Sapphira lied about how much money they'd given to the work of the Lord and were struck dead right there. Whenever God is doing a new thing in the world, you see an amping up and a turning up of his immediate personal dealing with a mixed multitude. Now, you say, Craig, who's the mixed multitude? Well, when the children of Israel were leaving Egypt, they were accompanied by a large number. One, one translation said they were all non-believers, by the way. These are people that identified with the children of Israel, but they didn't know Abraham, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. They didn't know anything about that. They'd just seen 10 plagues. They were over-ramped up with excitement and adventure and the lure of, we're on the, we got a front seat for the greatest show on earth. <laughs> God's doing this and that and bringing darkness and flies and gnats and cats and dogs living together, all that Old Testament stuff. It's all happening. And the Bible says there was a huge mixed multitude. And they're called in Numbers 11, a sapsap. One word used one time in the Bible, and it meant riffraff. The riffraff. The, the leaven the Judas among the 12. There's always a Judas. And he's usually good looking. A Judith. Hi, praise the Lord. Can we worship together? It's like, okay. Loved one. We are standing on the brink of the greatest outpouring of God in human history. It's going to be the holiest thing the, this world has ever seen. And boy, are we going to see an immediate dealing with leaven. And by the way, here's the good news. Thunder up front. You don't have to do anything about it. God's going to do it all. You get to eat your popcorn and have a front row seat. So there's a little bit of practical where the Bible leather hits the shoe leather, but I'm getting ahead of myself. So when the children of Israel come out, they're accompanied by what's called many other people, a mixed multitude, a crowd of mixed ancestry, and a large company of every kind. Now, let me just encourage you real quick. These are not positive folk. These are not, these are not people who know the Lord. These are not people that are saved. These are people, as in every generation, that are looky-loos, and they just happen to show up. And you're looking around, and you go, how did, how did, how did, how did Judas get in here? Christ picked him. He brought him in for a purpose. He hastened the crucifixion that quickened up our redemption. God will even use your enemies to get you to your destiny. But I want you to know the principle of a mixed multitude. They're always present, and God always deals with them, and he always deals with them just before the miracles happen or just after the miracles happen because that's what draws them. Now, we know that this was a jailbreak. We know that there's a lot of people that were slaves in Egypt, not just the children of Israel. Remember when Joseph was taken as a slave and the people, the Midianites that took him, they didn't care who he was. They didn't care that he was Hebrew. They just took everybody. So there's a mass of folks that while the Egyptians were burying their dead after the death of the firstborn, they ran out with the group. Remember in the movie The Ten Commandments, Edward G. Robinson? <laughs> I, Dathan, will lead you back to Pharaoh. Remember there's that horrible guy named Dathan and he's just a wicked little man and he's, he's cringy and he's, you know, He's always opposing Moses. And he, the mixed multitude are the people that gave Moses all of his agitation. Moses is so upset, he says, God, kill me. Now, I want to tell you ministry is a beautiful thing. But sometimes you can feel so overwhelmed by the mixed multitude and by the trouble they can produce in a church, in a ministry, in a business. Have you ever had a mixed multitude join into your, maybe your band? I know David's had a few mixed multitude folk over the years that just popped into his band, which we're all going to see tomorrow. Have you ever had a friend in your life that wasn't wheat, was a tear? And they came into your life, they crept into your life. It was one of the mixed multitude. 
and they begin to compromise the work that's going on. And you keep wondering, where's this conflict coming from? Where's this darkness coming from? Where's this harassment coming from? Uh, the mixed multitude. Now, let me read some text for you. They're named different things, but they were hangers-on that had escaped Egypt. They didn't know God. They were not believers. They were not Jews. And they were fascinated by the power of God. But as soon as things got the least bit difficult, whoa they showed up. Because they were concerned not for the kingdom, not for the advancement of God's people. They were concerned only for their own lusts, only for their own needs. And you will see it in a time of pressure. Abraham Lincoln said, if you want to see who somebody is, give them power. Just for a minute. And you'll start seeing the wheat from the tares. Jesus in, in Matthew 13, we'll get to in a few minutes, said that uh, the kingdom is like someone who is sowing good seed in their field and an enemy comes at night and adds tares. So he goes to sleep, he wakes up, and now they're both coming up together. What do you do? Well, but I get ahead of myself. When things got difficult, when the pressure was on, just a month into their sojourn. They've just seen the Red Sea. And by the way, the mixed multitude, they were there. They went through the Red Sea on dry ground. They were at Mount Sinai. They saw the mountain shake. They heard everything. And they lasted up until this time. But the Lord has to do some house cleaning. He has to remove some yeast. And he's so good at doing it. Let me read you some scripture. In the book of Numbers, we have the story. It says, Now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord. And when he heard them, his anger was aroused. Then fire from the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. The people on the outskirts of the camp that started this are the mixed multitude. Did you know complaining has to originate from a certain place? But once complaining starts, did you know it spreads like a cancer? Have you figured that out? Like fire? So in, in, in Numbers chapter 11, the scripture says the outskirts of the camp, these were the outcasts, these were the mixed multitude, these are the people that didn't get their own way for two minutes, and now they're starting to reveal their true nature, and the Lord brings fire immediately. There he goes with his fire again. When the people cried out to Moses, he prayed to the Lord and the fire died down. So the place was called Tabera because fire from the Lord had burned among them. Tabera, fire on the outskirts. What was he doing? Yeah, well, he's just being mean and, and, and the Old Testament is really a mean. No, 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 no. He was cleansing the people of the greatest enemy they had ever known, the yeast, the mixed multitude. Mixture. People that did not care about the work of God. Did you? How many of you want folk in your life that are of God? <laughs> Friends that are true confidants in the Lord, and they're not constituents or comrades. They're not going to sell you down the river. They're not going to throw you under the bus. Well, the Lord has to bring a purging in order to remove from your midst the mixed multitude. Now, we want everybody to have an opportunity to receive the gospel. Amen. Come on in. Let the hordes come in. But after a while, the hordes can't stay. If they reject the Lord and they refuse the message, then you've got to, as a pastor, as a shepherd, you have to be aware of how you handle wheat and tares. Because if you put one of the mixed multitude in a position of spiritual authority, and by the way, every pastor I've ever known the last 40 years, has put one of the mixed multitude in a pastoral position or a support position or a deacon position or an elder position, and they didn't know the Lord, and they didn't know God. Maybe they were technically saved and had their fire insurance when they were 12, but they were not disciples of Jesus. Christ was not their Lord. And you put some of the mixed multitude in authority, and you will burn down your church. You will burn down the ministry that you're associated with. And everybody goes, what's the matter? <laughs> well, after this message, you'll say, oh, it was one of the mixed multitude. Tabera, fire on the margins, Lord. 
You know, when you're in a, you, when you're in a leadership position and you see the damage a non-Christian can do or a false leader can do, remember Absalom, the false leader who tried to take David? Remember Jezebel, the false woman who tried to wear the pants in the family and destroyed the, uh, the nation of Judah? God is weeding out right now. He's pruning out right now. He's putting a spotlight on the mixed multitude. But the good news is he alone knows who inhabits that lovely group. But let me read you a little bit more from Numbers 11. Ready? Fire comes down, and it says, look at verse 4, the rabble with them, ah, a saps up. There's the word, a saps up, rabble. What does God call the mixed multitude? Well, one translation just says a, a super group of people. Okay, but this super group of people were known by the Lord, and their hearts weren't right, and he calls them a saps up. ASAP sup, because they had to eat right away, as soon as possible. They had to meet their needs on their terms. <laughs> and only pressure will reveal a fracture. Did you know you may think you're fine, but you go into the gym and you got a little fracture, hairline fracture? You'll find it as soon as you put weight on it. And so all of a sudden, God says, look at the rabble with them began to crave other food, and again the Israelites, notice the rabble starts the complaining, then the Israelites join in. It's like a fire that spreads. And then verse 10 says all the people join in, and verse 11 says Moses starts complaining. <laughs> Boy, gossip. Mark Twain said a lie can go halfway around the world before truth gets her boots on. Isn't it true? F gossip spreads like fire. You can say something in L.A. and destroy the reputation of someone in New York. One arrow from your mouth. So guess what? The mixed multitude, the asapsup, the rabble, they can burn ministries down with one phone call behind the back of the pastor. I had a friend from South Africa. He said, after church, everyone has pasta for dinner. Pasta. That's how he said, pastor. I said, speak in English. It's pastor, not pasta. And he had a son named Grant. I said, my son's name is Grant. That's how you say Grant. But it's true. If you don't give your people a project in the church world, they'll make you their project in the church world. And it's the mixed multitude always. It's the leaven in the lump that begins to creep in, and before you know it, you go, well, I think, I think we put a devil in the leadership team. All pastors will say, amen. It happens like that. Before you know it, because someone's got money, you put them on the elder board, right? He's going to be, you know, your big supporter, and probably he'll give you moolah, but guess what? He's not saved, so he's not a spiritual man. The mixed multitude had no spiritual interest at all in the kingdom. They just had a fascination with the power of God. Uh, is he going to kill more flies? <laughs> wow, this is amazing. No, he's not going to kill any more flies. In fact, <laughs> a few days after the Red Sea, they hit a place called Mara where there's no water. And the whole multitude turns. Boom, they want to kill Moses and go back to Egypt. Guess where all that stuff originated from? From the riffraff, the asapsup. Now, it spread. It did go to the actual good folk, and then it got all the way up to Moses. If you look at, read the whole chapter, 11th chapter of Numbers, poor Moses. It says, Moses heard the people of every family wailing at the entrance of their tents. The Lord was exceedingly angry, and Moses was troubled. And he said, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you would put a burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? What do you... <laughs> Did you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant? Moses says, look, pal... He goes, I'm as awkward as a father carrying a nursing baby. Guess what daddies can do for a nursing baby? Nothing. They're helpless. They don't have the equipment. And back then, there was no bottle feeding. Dr. Spock wasn't around. So Moses said, what? <laughs> Aren't you glad men of God have feet of clay? Aren't you glad? He's peeved. And he doesn't just want to quit. He wants God to kill him. He said, I am so sick of this mixed multitude. I am so sick of them provoking uh, 
this people and gossiping behind my back and calling me a devil and saying, kill Moses and let's go back to Egypt. That all resulted from, it came from the mixed multitude. It came from the asapsop. It came from the riffraff. And did you know God's the only one that can get the riffraff out? You think you see it, but you don't see how deep the roots go in a given church. Beloved, there's no fight like a church fight. You think being jumped into a gang is a church fight. No, no, no. Wait till you see those church ladies go at it, ripping their earrings off and shoes off and fist fights all over. There's a YouTube video on, on these church fights between these old church ladies, and you go, oh, come on, Craig, that's, that's theater. No, it isn't. Because in every group, you have a mixed multitude, and only God can bring enough glory that will surface their identity so that he can get them out. And you know what? It's got to be a severe fire in most instances because only God knows how to root that out. Root and branch, they used to say. Some folk need to be removed root and branch from your church, root and branch from your friendship life, root and branch from your family assemblies. It's called boundaries. Thank God for Dr. Henry Cloud and Dr. John Townsend who weren't there back then. Moses could have used the book Boundaries. Well, he just wants, he doesn't want to quit. He wants to die. And it says, <laughs> verse 21, but Moses said, here am I among 600,000 men on foot. And you say, I will give them meat to eat for a whole month. Would they have enough if flocks and herds were slaughtered for them? Would they have enough if all the fish in the sea were caught for them? And the Lord answered, Moses, is the Lord's arm too short? Now you will see whether or not what I say will come for you. Do you see Moses is a little bit troubled? Because he's going, God has just been serving manna, okay? We haven't even taught thoroughly on manna, but manna fell every day for 40 years. Manna was right outside your tent. You had to stoop down to get it, but it took one minute to grab up your meal. Now these people, the mixed multitude, can't forget Egypt. They, they're addicted. They say, oh, the leeks and the garlics and the onions and all oh, the food we got for free. They just forgot that they were abject slaves. They were in hopeless slavery for all that time. But they're focusing on the free food. We got free food. <laughs> what are we going to do? And so the mixed multitude is the one that starts crying, and then their wickedness starts spreading to the people. Now it's all the way up to Moses. And you know what they're doing? They're not interested in the kingdom. They're interested in their own fleshly lusts, and they're sick of manna. We are so sick of this angel food. Who does God think he is? Central air conditioning 24 hours a day, central heating. Our clothes don't wear out. Our shoes don't wear out. And this manna. Oh, did you know ingratitude is always the first incursion of the enemy into your home, into your camp, and into your family? Ingratitude. Discontentment. Did you know the job of media is to make you discontented with whatever product you have so you buy the new one? All ads are based on, look what you have now. Oh, I'm sorry. You don't have the iPhone 7580? Oh, no, I only have the 7790. Ah! Their whole goal is to make you unhappy with what you have so that you want to buy the new and improved. So the enemy is a master at bringing discontentment into your life. Remember, the grass, isn't, the grass isn't greener on the other side. It's greener where you water it. The devil's always going to say, whatever you have, oh, it's not enough. Look at, uh, what if you had him? What if you had her? What if you had this car? What if you had that house? There's no end to that. And that comes from the enemy through the mixed multitude. The riffraff, a sop-sup. A sop-sup on the threshold, Craig. That would have been the best title. I had four titles. I gave you the one in English to encourage you. Do you see that the Lord is about to move with signs and wonders, and the first thing he's going to have to do is deal with the mixed multitude in your family, in your friendship, in your home? We've been talking about God pruning things away from our life. Remember last week we talked about circumcision and sheep shearing, that he's removing unnecessary coverings that are actually are blocking us from our total intimacy with him, part of that subtraction can be extended to the asapsup.
the riffraff, the mixed multitude. Now, Moses was told by God, I'm going to give them meat. You know what they want? They want meat. They're sick of this manna. Did you know the Bible says of all things God hates? He hates a proud look. He doesn't mention adultery particularly. He says that it's that in the restaurant. Hi, is this a restaurant? Can we get food here? That. Okay, you didn't commit adultery. Okay, you're not an alcoholic. Okay, you're not a drug addict. But you with your stinking high look. God says, I hate that and I will bring that down. Ooh, we've all got a high look. Come on, have you ever seen? We had a waitress that used to work at our church, and she, after Sunday at church, she would serve a table of 30 pastors and Christians. And guess the tip they left? $2. $2. She said, I took the money, and I tapped the pastor on the shoulder and said, you left this on the table. If you're, not, if you're going to give a crappy tip, leave a Mormon track. somebody's working their butt off to serve you and you profess the Lord, but you don't walk in his ways. You can do more damage to the cause of Christ. I have more people that will never darken a church door. They won't go to church because they've already been. Because they saw a mixed multitude, because they saw pettiness, because they saw people who were allowing the enemy to infiltrate their midst with discontentment, ingratitude. Do you know why they wandered 40 years in the wilderness? Kvetching. They were bitching. God said, as I live, you will never enter the land. You're all going to die in the wilderness. Well, that's a heavy revy. Yeah, you know why? They were ungrateful, ingratitude. Um, is this soup uh, or dishwater? Do you know, there are some people that would give anything to live in this country, to live in a dumpster in the back of a McDonald's. When I was in Nigeria, I had people that would have killed to get into this country, to have what we call abject poverty. They would think they died and went to heaven. And so when the enemy wants to infiltrate, he brings a mixed multitude primarily to get you discontented with whatever it is you have. You know, like Dorothy. Dorothy got into trouble when she wasn't content staying in her own backyard. She was always looking for adventure. And what did she learn at the end? What did you learn, Dorothy? Well, I learned if probably I have to look beyond my own backyard. I didn't need it in the first place. Good lesson, expensive lesson. Took flying monkeys. <laughs> Gratitude. You know, the best security against weeds is a healthy lawn. If you are grateful, beloved, if you are thankful for what God has given you, if you will praise him, for where you are. My lines have fallen in pleasant places. The Lord is my God. He meets all of my needs. He is my shepherd I shall not want. Gratitude draws the glory of God. But the mixed multitude, the first thing they do is they want to introduce ingratitude, discontentment, and kvetching. Is it cold in here? Is it you? Do you have people that will just complain no matter what? I went and saw Gone with the Wind, and the person I saw it with, I said, oh, wasn't that something? They went, eh, eh, you know, it's not The Simpsons. You know what it's like. You know how people, that they don't really know anything, but if they can level what you just offered, you know, you give them a bite of Ruth's Chris, medium rare filet, and they go, eh. it's too salty. It's too salty. It's a great leveler to be able to taste glory and complain about it. And it, 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 it's a way of leveraging yourself to make you up and somebody else be down by, by exhibiting discontentment. It sounds like you're an elitist critic that really has a better taste than everybody else. You can dismiss any movie, any TV series, and how many of you know when you binge a Netflix series you're in love with and you recommend it to your best friend and they say, yeah, I thought it was nothing. And, you know, and it was like, 
rather watch the Muppets. You know, the, the Muppets? Did you see Breaking Bad? Oh, yeah, I did. Mm. 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 See, that's the mixed multitude. That's the asapsup. That starts with the enemy in our midst, and it spreads like fire. So let me keep, let me keep with the text. So what does God do? It says, now a wind went out from the Lord and drove quail in from the sea. It scattered them up to two cubits deep all around the camp as far as a day's walk in any direction. All that day and night and all the next day, the people went out and gathered quail. No one gathered less than 10 homers. Then they, sp- then they spread them out all around the camp, but while the meat was still between their teeth and before it could be consumed, the anger of the Lord burned against the people and he struck them with a severe plague. Therefore, the name of the place was Kibrat Hatava, because it, it meant the grave of corpses, not <laughs> the graves of lust. What? What? What's going on here? Again, the mixed multitude They don't like the manna. They cannot forget what they had in Egypt. They remember free food but forgot they were slaves and being beaten to death while they ate the leeks and the garlics. And they're glorifying and romanticizing the place of bondage God delivered them from. So God's getting a little ticked. Moses is over the top ticked. Moses is saying, kill me, God. Kill me, God. Aren't you glad he answers our heart, not our prayers? He just says, I'm done with this. I'm so finished with this. And so what God does, he says, look, I'm going to give them meat. They want meat? Here's how does God deal with the mixed multitude? Ready? You want to know how he judges the mixed multitude in our midst to remove the leaven? He gives them what they want. What? Lord, uh, we like Dennis's verse about dust in your teeth and grinding up grinding rocks in your mouth god give them rocks to eat psalm 106:15 and he gave them their request and sent leanness into their soul listen psalm 78:29 so they ate and were filled for he gave them what they craved We are living in a time where God is showing his extreme and thorough judgment of the mixed multitude, of the asapsup, of the riffraff. How's he doing it? By giving them what they want. They wanted wanted quail. The Bible says they flew three feet off the ground. No one got less than like three quarts of it. And it says that there, it was the craven lust of the mixed multitude. That's, that's who wanted this. But now the children of Israel are roped into this. You know, when a leader te- sins, he teaches sin. You know, things get enmeshed real quick. They have an enmeshed relationship with Israel, and God says, I got I to gotta prune this out, man. I, I, I got to separate the wet from the water. This is getting really complex, but don't worry, the Lord can do it. And this is how he does it. Isaiah 10, 16 says, Therefore shall the Lord, the Lord of hosts, send among his fat ones leanness. You say, well, what what is that? Psalm 106 is recalling this event in Numbers 11. And God is saying, I don't need to bring fire. I don't need to burn someone's house down. All I need to do is give them what they want. Sometimes you get your prayer answered. We want meat. God said, you want meat? I'm not going to give you one day or two days. I'm going to give you 30 days worth. And it says for two and a half days they were, they were grabbing this. Now, it takes just a second to reach out of your tent and get manna. It, they took two and a half days grabbing this meat and cooking it and preparing it. And it says before it even got into their teeth where they could chew it properly that they were already, uh-oh, something's wrong. And the scripture says it was the answered prayer. You know, Truman Capote said the next worst thing to unanswered prayers are answered prayers. Watch what you pray for, you may get it. So they wanted meat, God gave them meat, but they didn't like what they got. The Lord literally said, okay, I'm going to give you what you want. Have you ever asked God, God, if I don't have her, I'm going to die. I don't want any her but her. 
there is no woman like this one guy goes you don't you don't you don't want her no no no, no, no. don't get near her yeah don't you don't you don't you say no to me who do you think you are you mean god saying no to the love of my go ahead and you hook up and you go oh my god before it gets through your teeth there's a plague right and you're on the toilet for three weeks, and you're, oh, God, oh, God. And God says, I told you, honey, I, I told you, I warned you. You know, when you wear rose-colored glasses, you don't see stop signs. You don't. You just, everybody else sees what you're doing, and they're all going, no. In slow motion, like football reels. You know, no. And you're going, leave me alone. God always warns us. First he says no, then he says no, then he says no, then he says no. And then he grants our request and sends leanness into our heart. Beloved, I'm a pastor. I've been in ministry for 50 years. I have seen everyone jump into pits. Pits it took me 15 years to crawl out of. They're on a diving board going down in. And you're just, it's like a parent with a child. You can't learn your kid anything. You can only teach him. He has to learn. But isn't that painful, parents, to watch people you love and know and they're jumping into the pit and you're going, no! And they go, you know, leave me alone. Shut up. The prodigal son, give me my money now. I wish you were dead. And he goes to Vegas, spends it on whores and drugs, and he's in a week. He's like, I'm starving to death. It's like the father goes, I saw that. (laughs) But did you know God won't come running after you and intervene all the time? He'll He'll let consequences stop excuses. Notice the father let the prodigal go. How rarely will we do that? Let somebody go and trust God. And he let consequences stop excuses. He didn't hunt him down with a private eye. He didn't dog him. He didn't call him 60 times a day and serial text him. Beloved, there's some things, if you don't leave it alone, you're going to blow it up. Just leave it alone. When you have wheat and tares together, if you try to rip the wheat out, you'll tell, destroy a tear. You'll destroy a wheat. If you try to get the tear, you'll destroy the wheat. And God sometimes says, take your hand off this. I will separate between the mixed multitude and you. I will deal with the asaps up. I'll deal with the riffraff. God says, trust me, vengeance is mine, I will repay. So aren't you glad that you have no responsibility at all to deal with the riffraff and the mixed multitude? Jesus is going to do it. He's really good, but you have to just do the next right thing. You have to walk in his ways. You have to choose his path. And he will take care of all these people, places, and things that are none of your business. The mixed multitude on the threshold. God is, he's going to move severely, beloved. But he does it by giving someone what they're asking for. You know, I was reading in the book of Ezra. I just want to read you a text concerning the children of Israel. And they are approached in chapter 4, and it says, When the enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that the exiles were building a temple for the Lord, the God of Israel, they came to Zerubbabel and to the heads of the families and said, Let us help you build, because like you, we seek your God and have been sacrificing to him since the time of Erthaddon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. Verse 3, But Zerubbabel, Joshua, and the rest of the heads of the families of Israel answered, You have no part with us in building a temple to our God. We alone will build it for the Lord, the God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, commanded us. All right, this is a group that says, we belong to God, we love God, just like you do. But they didn't love God, they didn't belong to God, and they were a sapsop. They were riffraff. And as soon as they got rejected one time, look what happened. Then the peoples around them set out to discourage the people of Judah and to make them afraid to go on building. They bribed officials to work against them and frustrate their plans during the entire reign of Cyrus, king of Persia, and down to the reign of Darius, king of Persia. When the riffraff don't get their way right now, ASAP sup, they can't eat what they want as soon as possible, they will turn on you to destroy you. 
and Zerubbabel and Joshua the high priest were sensitive as pastors during the rebuilding of the temple. Very intimate and strategic time in the history of Israel. If, if these people were allowed to be the mixed multitude infiltrating the building of the wall, they would have defiled the work of God. And it took the pastors to say, nope, thank you, but no thank you. And right away they were turned on. It's just like Bilbo Baggins in the ring. You know, you know, it's like, oh, I didn't know that was in there. <laughs> Thank God Zerubbabel knew. Thank God for pastors after God's own heart. Paul the Apostle put it this way in the book of Acts. To the Ephesians, he says, when I leave you, grievous wolves are going to come in behind me. They're going to be bedecked by the world's garments. They're going to look authoritative and powerful, and they're going to come in to subvert your faith and to mock the gospel, and to destroy everything it took me three years to build here. Paul was very aware of the mixed multitude and very aware that he needed to warn the people of God concerning the enemy. And you notice the mixed multitude because discontentment starts eking into your life. Ingratitude. Begins to, as soon as discontentment and ingratitude intrude, and then you begin to not be grateful, ingra- you, you immediately, oh, I can tell you already, it started. Whether it came through the homeless guy that said something to you or your new girlfriend that is uh, a, a Satanist. <laughs> There's a mystery to my history. Beloved, beloved, as soon as we see the leaven, we need to know. It only takes a little bit of leaven to leaven the whole lump. Just a little bit of false teaching. It's called the leaven of the Pharisees. Just a drop. Just a dollop. Just a little pinch. And the whole thing, overnight in your freezer, the whole thing's leavened. And God goes, oops, (laughs) whoopsie doodle. Beloved, how does God deal with the mixed multitude? He gives them what they want. And by getting what you want, you begin to realize God is sovereign. Did you know he can shut down all the riffraff? He can deal with every single one of your enemies. And all you have to do, here are just some closing suggestions with regard to this season as we're dealing with the mixed multitude. Are you ready? First is... Matthew 13, 25, 24 to 43, Jesus said, a man sowed in his garden, good seed. The enemy came and sowed tares. He went to sleep, he woke up, his friend said, hey man, what's the matter with you? What did you sow? He goes, I sowed good things, an enemy has done this. And they said, well, um, well, we got to do something about it. Did you know there's always someone in your life that wants you to get in the flesh and do something about it? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Jesus said, Do nothing. Leave this alone. Let the wheat and the tares grow together. And at the very end, I will send expert reapers who know how to bind the tares, separate them from the wheat, and burn them with fire. Jesus says, in this season, you got to know when to take your hand off a complex situation. Leave it alone. Do you know there are times when you have to leave it alone? relationship times when it's too hot to touch, even if it's right to talk? Not now. When someone's white hot and throwing furniture at you, isn't the time. When they're drunk out of their mind, isn't the time. It's too white hot. Well, we need to talk someday, but not now. (laughs) So Jesus tells his disciples, you know, there's a lot of situations in life that you need to keep your hand off. See, if you won't take your hand off, God will take your hand off. The way you're pestering a child, the way you're giving them a reason to leave you and to go and find God. Some things are too white hot for you personally to put your hand on. And Jesus gives us counsel sometimes. You leave it alone. I have a dear friend, uh, and he's had issues with his children. But you know what he's learned? He's learned how to leave them alone. He's learned when to take his hand off stuff that is so complex, so intricate. Only the nail-scarred hand of Jesus can separate that mixed multitude from the people of God. And he's so good at it. Have you ever gotten all enmeshed in something you're trying to fix and it just makes it worse? It just adds fuel to the fire. (laughs) And all of us outside looking in go, maybe you should remove the gasoline from that fire. 
you keep putting wood on the fire. The Bible says if you get a gossip out, the fire goes on, the wood comes out of the fire. When the wood comes out of the fire, the fire stops. Sometimes Jesus says in this season, don't forget your place and try to fix things. Don't put your hand on stuff that you need to let go of. Sometimes it's best to leave it alone. Don't die in the wrong battlefield. You've heard me say it a million times. Don't drown in shallow water. Let God do his work. Let the Holy Spirit, remember, he convinces the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment, not you. He's the one that opens people's eyes, not me. Now, Craig has tried over the years to do the work of the Holy Ghost. Who died and left Craig Holy Ghost? I don't know, but I figured I can do it. I can argue them in. I can win them over. I can, you know, and every time I got my fingerprints on everybody's blueprints, it just burns down. It's a dumpster fire of a ministry and a life. But now... I'm a little bruised and older and 63, (laughs) so I'm more prone to keep my hand off things that I'm not to touch. And you know, God is faithful. He said, I'll bring my reapers at the end. I'll separate the wet from the water and the wheat from the chaff, Craig. You don't need to do that. All right? So that's my first suggestion. Leave it alone. And my other suggestion is Nehemiah 6.3 has uh, Nehemiah on the wall and all of the people of God building the wall. And his enemies, Sanballat and Tobiah, are down and they're trying to get him to come off the wall. See, the enemy will always try to distract you, disorient you, and get you not gazing at God, but gazing at the problem. Remember, gaze at God, glance at the trouble. Don't gaze at the trouble and glance at God. So Sanballat and Tobiah, they're trying to get Nehemiah to come down. They're falsely accusing him. They're threatening him with lawsuits. And Nehemiah says in Nehemiah 6.3, this is something for your promise box. I'm doing a great work. I cannot come down. I'm doing a great work. I cannot come down. Yes, but we've heard gossip about you and we'd like to have a meeting. I'm doing a great work. I cannot come down. Get your hand off intricate things only God can solve. And secondly, you're doing a great work. Don't come down. Don't stop what you're doing. Do the next right thing. Obey God. Flourish in the courts of your God. Let your roots grow deep. You obey God. You walk with God, whether anyone else does or not. And tell any of people that are distracting, I'm doing a great work. I cannot come down. God bless you. We love you. We're praying for you. God bless you. I'm doing a great work. I cannot come down. Yeah, but I heard that you're a devil dressed up as a woman and you're a... Don't be distracted. Don't be disillusioned. Do not gaze away from Jesus and glance and gaze at the wind and waves. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. As soon as you go suing me, oh yeah, and you get in the flesh. I watch it all the time. Christians are Christians for like five minutes and then they become human beings because we're human beings first and Christians second. Did you notice that? I don't want to draw attention to that point. Move on. Okay. Get your hand off complexities. God is dealing with the mixed multitude. Secondly, I'm doing a great work. I cannot come down. I'm going to continue doing what God has called me to do. And then listen to this. A healthy lawn is the best preservative against weeds. All we need to do in this church is have a healthy lawn, have a healthy body. And you know what? Weeds aren't allowed. They're not, you don't have to do weed programs. You don't have to de-weed. You just have to put a big old fat, healthy green lawn out, and it will smother all of the mixed multitude. They just can't breathe in the room. Remember all the Blade movies with Wesley Snipes? I loved them because they always have their little infrared lights that melt all of the wicked demons. You know what I mean? All you have to do is put light on these things, and they dissolve into powder. They're invincible, but when you put light on them... <laughs> I just thought, I want one of those rifles. They can put light on a vampire. That's all you need to do. You turn the light on, the bugs flee. You don't need to do debugging of your house and become a bug expert. And you know, I remember a preacher told me, he said, Craig, he said, if you ever see uh, vultures, he goes, don't get your vulture rifle with vulture ammo. He said, find out what's dying and revive it. And the vultures go away. We Christians want vulture rifles, and we make our money on survival vulture rifles with vulture bullets. This will kill a vulture 15 feet away, and, 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 and the man said, Craig, find out what's dying and revive it, and the vultures will go away. 
So we need to not confuse fruits with roots in this season. If you lay an ax to the root, the fruit will die. There's no worry about it. So, beloved, God is in this time calling our attention to mixed multitudes. He's calling our attention to the fact that he always, before great signs and wonders and immediately after, will bring a severe and immediate judgment upon the leaven. But you don't have to do it. That's not my job. That's not your job. But you know, the Holy Spirit always warns us what's going to happen so that when it happens, we can say, oh, I knew that. I knew that. Oh, that's what's going on there. We live in a culture that is being given what they want. And that is their judgment. Eat it until it comes out your bowels. The Bible says they ate the meat until it came out their noses. (laughs) They're just, their guts are coming. You go, Craig, that's so disgusting. It is, but you don't realize that's what's happening right now. Sometimes you give someone what they want and they go, well, thank you. Well, it's about damn time. And you just go, let's get away as quick as we can (laughs) because that's about to settle into your lower colon. Amen. We used to go to Egypt. It wasn't when you got, if you got sick, it was when you got sick, right? Yeah, I know many of you have heard this before, but I'm closing with this. I am actually closing. And we, they would say to us, we would say, can I eat this? They go, is it cooked or out of a bottle? Can I eat a salad? Is it cooked or out of a bottle? Can I drink this soda with ice cubes in it? Is it cooked or out of a bottle? And inevitably... Every one of us ate something that was neither cooked nor out of a bottle. And the botch of Egypt, we called it Hoppin' Hotep, kicked in. Okay? Our cruise in the Nile was seven days, five days we were crapping our brains out until all liquid no longer existed in us. We had to go to the hospital and they were giving gamma globulin shots and, you know, IVs. And these are all the... (laughs) And the Lord made all of his fat, stout ones lean. We just got what we wanted. I just got to have a soda with ice in it. Okay, well, you just got to have five days on your butt. Lord have mercy, you learn things about folk. (laughs) It's like, you know, I don't really care anymore. I'm going to die. Please, God, kill me. We're in the Moses mode. Kill me, Lord. Yeah, call it the Hoppin' Hotep. No one was ever the same after that trip. You have to come with me on a special church trip to the mixed multitude. You see, you, that you're laughing because that's funny, but isn't it about time that we're mature enough not to eat it if it isn't cooked and out of a bottle? Cooked, out of a bottle, cooked, out of a bottle. Can I eat this apple? Cooked or out of a bottle? Oh, he's so rude. Cooked and out of a bottle. Screw you and your, the horse you rode, and then you eat it. Everybody's a dip. How dare he to put his restrictions on me? I'm going to eat whatever the hell I want. Yes, you are. But in Egypt, it's going to color the bus. And no one is going to want to sit with you or be in a room, even if they paid $5,000 to share that room with you at one time. Ah! You know, it's like, oh, yeah, we know the sound. Mama, can we go with Craig to Egypt? (laughs) The mixed multitude, beloved. Come on now. I don't know about you, but I'd rather get permission than forgiveness at 63. I want to know that I'm just doing my part. And I'm blooming where I'm planted. And I'm doing the next right thing for my life. And God's going to have to handle all the complexity of wheat and tares, mixed multitude, and the asapsup, the rabble. Call them what they are. One translation says, a great group of people. No, a sap sub. Rabble. God used the word once in Hebrew to make a point. <laughs> they are exactly what God says they are. No, they aren't. Okay. Isn't it funny we just get older and older and more mature and hopefully are making better choices? But if not, God still forgives you. But five days in Egypt on the toilet will teach you a lot of things that your pastor can't. Oh, beloved, God is at work. We have the privilege of having a front row seat of the greatest show on earth. Eat your popcorn if it's cooked and out of a bottle. 
and then we're fine. But I want you to know, you know, Jesus, when he was washing the feet of the disciples, he said something to them. He says, what I'm doing right now, you will understand later. What he's saying to you right now, you will understand later. Because when you descriptively understand what I've said and it starts happening on a mass global scale, you're not going to be a Christian going, it's the end of the world. Where's my survival food? Ah, ah, missing the boat by a mile. God is your provision. We are going to land in a glorious way. This is the greatest move of God in human history. You are going to be fine, little child of God. Don't worry. He is with you. He is your provider. Have you ever not been provided for? Looking at the room, that's, you're fine. His lean ones are fine. His stout ones are fine. I have a psalm. I'd rather leave you with a verse. Psalm 78, where God recounts all this. He rained down manna for the people to eat. He gave the grain of heaven. Human beings ate the bread of angels. He sent them all the food they could eat. He let loose the east wind from the heavens and by his power made the south wind blow. He rained meat down on them like dust, birds like sand on the seashore. He made them come down inside the camp all around their tents. They ate till they were gorged. He had given them what they craved. But before they turned from what they craved, even while the food was still in their mouths, God's anger arose against them. He put to death the sturdiest among them, cutting down the young men of Israel. In spite of all this, they kept on sinning. In spite of his wonders, they did not believe. So he ended their days in futility and their years in terror. Can God take care of your enemies? Yes! You don't have to. Well, that's just, that's one of those imprecatory psalms. Oh, yeah. Read the whole 78th Psalm. He, he recounts the whole history of Israel and shows that they were just literally one step after another falling down the stairs and disobeying God at every turn and then going, ow, ow. You walk barefoot over nails and you go, my foot hurts. Ow. <laughs> we need to stop that. I want to bless you in Jesus' name. I want to encourage you, beloved. God loves you so much, he himself is dealing with the mixed multitude in and through your life. He is going to stop the enemy's assaults, his relentless assaults against your mind, your heart, your body, your life, because he's a mighty God. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. It is God's promise. He will take care of all the wheat and the tares in your life. He will take care of all the complex situations you can't figure out, the complex math you can't do right now. He is your provider. He makes a way where there is no way. Heavenly Father, I pray for my precious sister right now under the sound of my voice. Comfort her, Lord, with your everlasting arms. Wrap your love and comfort around her, Lord. Fill her with the Holy Spirit and with great joy she's never had in her life, Lord. Give her a double dose to the Holy Ghost, Lord God. Fill her up top to bottom, head to heart, God. Fill your daughter with delight, with hope, with encouragement in the name of Jesus. And we break despair in Jesus' name. We break depression in Jesus' name. We break a spirit of self-harm and suicide in Jesus' name. We break cutting in Jesus' name. We break drug addiction and alcohol in Jesus' name. Father, we thank you right now that all of these sticks will fall out of the mouths of your people, that, that you will rain down hope, encouragement, refreshment to each of your daughters, Lord. Give them the hope they need. Give them the friends they need. Give them the financial support they need, God. Give them the anointing and power they need in Jesus' holy name right now. And Father, for your precious sons, Lord, your servants in the ministry, God, that you would deliver them, give the, strengthen their shoulders for the task. Clear their way, O oh God, with a mighty work of your Holy Spirit so their path is straight and not crooked. Father, we pray right now that you would remove all of the mixed multitude, all the asapsup, all the riffraff from my brother's life, his mind, his thoughts, his environment, that he can be 
purified and he can be cleansed to walk in your way, God. We thank you that we are going to have a front row seat of the greatest show on earth and we're going to be able to descriptively uh, uh, guide uh, what's going on. We can tell someone next to us that does not know what's going on and is clueless, oh, this is what's happening, this is what's happening. He's dealing with the mixed multitude, don't worry. He's dealing with the asaps up, the riffraff, don't worry. You don't have to touch it. Leave it alone. Jesus can do it. Father, give us the gift of explanation so we can help our brethren have hope in this season and properly interpret the signs of the times in Jesus' name. Someone say amen. Put your hands together, O sons and daughters of Issachar. Come on. You know the times and the seasons. That's the anointing that's on you. Jesus said the religious leaders of his day knew the fraction of a second before a new moon arose, but they could not read the signs of the times. They didn't know he was the God-man fulfilling all of Scripture in front of them. They missed that. They could tell you when the moon's going to rise within 30 seconds, but they could not see the signs of the times. We are going to be able to see the signs of the times and give hope and encouragement to people and give a proper interpretation of events to people. I hope what you're giving to people doesn't scare them to death, but inspires them with hope and confidence in their God. Amen. God bless you. We hope today's message has been a blessing to you. And if it has, please visit our website at drcraigjohnson.org. There you can find additional messages of encouragement. And if our ministry has been a blessing to you, please consider us in your ministry giving, as we depend solely on the financial assistance of our listeners like yourself. Also, please feel free to send any personal prayer requests. You can find us online at drcraigjohnson.org. God bless you.